Good morning, everybody. For those of you that are used to uh, four songs or five songs and not three songs, I want to encourage you and, and put you at ease that we will continue to worship as we break bread, have communion together. Um, say goodbye to our junior hires and our, our elementary school. Hope to see you guys soon. Um, yeah, this morning, there's so much good to share. And I'm so glad that each one of you are here. In fact, this morning, I just found myself walking through the sanctuary and just praying for each of you and, and just believing that God wants to meet you in a significant way. And he wants to do that every single time we gather. Do you believe that? Yes. Why else would we do it? Right? There's other stuff you could be doing right now, right? And, and the, the reality of it is, is we're a bunch of different people from a bunch of different walks of life that have come together for one purpose, to honor Jesus and to open up his word and to be in community together. And there's nothing more communal, in my opinion, than breaking bread in communion, right? It's even in the word that we're going to do this together. And Shelly, it's good to see you. You brought all that Idaho weather with you, didn't you? Yeah. Crazy, huh? Like, I can see Saddleback Mountain right now, and it's white with snow. If you turn around and look, if you're in this section... It is amazing how clear it is right now and how much snow there is on our local mountains. So um, can I get you back after that? I don't know, but it was worth it because my view is amazing right now. We laugh because uh, Rochelle and I, we live near the Old Town area. And if you, um, if you stand up on our, on our back deck and you go on your tippy toes, we have a view. That's our mountain view. Anyway, so we said, so hey, check out the mountain view today. And it was just beautiful white with snow. God's doing something tremendous in this moment in time. And, and you know, when God is moving, it's like everything is just awesome, right? Uh, I, I know when we're uh, such babies here in California, when it gets a little chilly, we're ready for the weather to move on into warm. But, but even the weather is like, I'm doing something new, right? That, that, that the invisible attributes of God are being made known. God's showing off all over the world. He's showing off in our midst right now, and, and, uh, and I'm delighted to be a part of it. I'm, I'm so glad to be alive in this moment. How many of you would have said that in 2020? Hey, check it out. This is, when, this is where God called us to be in this moment and this time. And he's faithful on the mountain, and he's faithful in the valley. And so, um, so today, we're going to jump into James. My hope is to, to give you a, a shorter sermon, because I've got some, some really good news. And some un, I, as I shared with you two weeks ago, God's been unfolding a miracle here. And so I want you to prepare your heart to receive that and um, receive the miracle of communion. But I believe that, that it ties together with what the Lord has for us in James chapter 3. So if you'd like to turn there in James chapter 3. This is a, a portion of scripture that you're likely familiar with, or if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know, you, you hear uh, quoted scriptures or, or repeated phrases that are, are common. And, um, and James is a whole lot about bridling the tongue. Um, before we get to that verse, I want to look at, at Proverbs 18.21, because this is one of those verses, if we have that. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's not bad breath, by the way. Some, sometimes, sorry, thank you. I just threw that softball out. A couple people laugh. No. Death, we call that the eighth value here at Bridge. That's why we have um, breath mints for everybody. You know, the eighth value is fresh breath. But anyways, I'm sorry. This is so bad. Truth from God's word, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, right? And those who love it will eat of its fruits. What does that mean? That... 
that if we um, really think about our lives and we think about moments where we're interacting with others, that there are those moments where we either say words that produce life or we say words that produce death, where we receive words that produce life or we receive words that produce death. You know what I'm talking about? For all of our lives, there's been things that have been said over us that have both motivated us towards healing and hope and great things in God. I, I love when, when the Lord puts like great coaches in our lives or those that see something that we cannot yet see in ourselves and they speak it out. I love the Gideon study that we're about to do. That's, that's what God did with Gideon. That's what Jesus did with Peter. He spoke into his life what he could see before the person could see it themselves. Gideon was no mighty man of valor when he was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was hiding out doing it, and, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, mighty man of valor, it was a word of life. And some of you see yourselves as, as, as weak, or you see yourselves as insignificant, where God sees you as powerful, and God sees you as, as a child, right? And, and that imagery of a perfect heavenly father seeing you as you are. And so when you have good parenting, when you have good coaching, you find that those words are just like life and they begin to produce the, the stuff that it takes for that person to mature and grow into greatness in God or greatness in their field or athletics or whatever it is. The counter is also true. It's a sad truth, but that each and every one of us have those little moments, those labels where somebody put something on us, right? Where somebody said, oh, you're such a... You know, fill in the blank. Everybody looked up when I said such a, because you thought I was going to say a bad word. <laughs> no, but, but people can use certain words or terminologies where, they, where they, they might just passing, you know, about the way that we talk, the way that we walk, the way that we play sports, the way that we read, the way that we play an instrument, the way that we sing. And it's said, and you're like, ha ha, and you laugh, go, oh, I know. And you, you, you know, you counter it with humor because you don't want that person to think that they did anything that was hurtful, right? Are you with me? Then you go away at night and you go, oh, I'm such a loser. I can never do such and such. And you begin to entertain a thought. That's a word of death. It's not a word of life. That word of death begins to settle on us. And the beauty of, of and the truth of God's word is that he breaks those bondages, that he creates in us something brand new in Christ, that we're a new creation, literally born again. And that, that even to go further with that point, that what God tends to do in our lives is those areas where we thought we were weak and a failure or somebody put that on us, said that over us, or we believed it from the enemy of our soul. God has a tendency to flip that thing on his head and redeem it. And the very thing that you thought you were terrible at, what does God do? He makes you exceptional at it. He chooses the weak to confound the strong, right? The foolish, the wise. Are you with me? That's good news for us, weak and foolish people, amen? It's true. And so as we look at the, the, the power of these words, um, James breaks it down for us in, in really like these six metaphors about the tongue. He says that the tongue is like a, 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 a harness, a bit, you know, that you put in a horse's mouth. The tongue is like a rudder um, that steers a ship. The tongue is like a fire that destroys a bunch of stuff. The, the tongue is like a stain that leaves a mark, lasting mark. The tongue is also like a fountain, or the tongue is also like a tree, okay? And so as we, we jump into it, I, I, I want to read it because the beauty of this study in the book of James is all you got to do is read it, that the Bible speaks for itself, that all the truth is there for us. As we read it, we just have to internalize it and figure out what we're going to do with it. Are we going to listen to it, apply it, let the Word of God transform us, 
Or, as James says, you can't just be a hearer of the word and just go away. you got to be a doer as well. So, as we look into it, um, let's look at James chapter 3, verse 1. It begins with this, um, this encouragement or this strong warning, really, that not many should become teachers. And I think that what he's addressing there is not a discouragement for those who have a calling into ministry. It's not saying, ah, you probably shouldn't do that. Many believe, and I think it's true as well, that that he was addressing a a situation in the church where people were after authority versus servanthood, right? So it was a very prestigious thing to be like the teacher. Oh, teacher, you know? And you can see it in today's world where some who preach the gospel even or others who are involved in other forms of teaching can be esteemed, you know, whether it's in academic circles or in Christian circles. It's like this place of honor, you know, oh, you're the teacher, right? And so James is saying, that's not how our teacher taught us. Do you remember how Jesus taught his disciples? Yeah. Puts on the servant uniform. What are you doing? He kneels down. He washes the feet of his disciples. Says, hey, this is how we do it, guys. We, if you want to be great, if you want to have authority, you learn to be a servant of all. And so James, I believe, is just hitting this thing head on. Hey, you want that teacher status? Not many of you should do it because, hey, guess what? If you decide to do it, you incur a stricter judgment. The words that you say, the things that come out of your mouth count. And as Jesus also said it, you're going to answer for all of that stuff one day. That's kind of like the stuff that makes us shake in our boots a little bit. Wouldn't you agree? And sometimes we sidestep and we bypass those passages of Scripture because they're not comfortable. But the reality that's there for us is to get us to settle into that and just go, okay, I need to realize that whatever, that yes, if God has called me to this, he's called me to be a servant. And so I believe that in the reading of the entire New Testament, we're all on the hook. We are all on the hook because we are all called to be priests of the Lord. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And so each and every one of us have been given gifts, talents, and abilities to be able to use for God's glory for the extension of his kingdom and his gospel message. And so each one of us have something here. So I say all that before I can even read it to say, if you go, well, I'm not a teacher, so I don't have to listen. I'm going to say, yeah, you do. (laughs) This is for all of us. So here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I love this. For we all stumble in many ways. Can you say that? For we all stumble in many ways. Who's included in that? All of us. Even James. This is not about perfection. This is not about Christian perfectionism. This is about submission to God and his ways. And so even James is saying, hey, look, we all blow it here. In fact, then he goes on and says, "Um, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect, able to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We will guide their bodies um, as well. And look also to ships. Though they are large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. And I just jotted down here in my notes that that we, we all stumble, but are we all willing to invite the bridle and the rudder? That's the real question. Some of us can find, and myself included, in times in my life where the stumbling becomes our identity, right? It's just sort of like, oh, I blow it all the time, you know? So I'm the mess up, uh, and we all kind of laugh about it. And even in Christian circles, it's like, oh, you know me, I'm just like Peter or whatever character in the Bible. And and it, it sounds like it's just sort of light, 
But if we're not careful, the attitude of our heart could be that we're taking on some words that aren't God's words about who we are. That we're just the mess up or we're just the one who's not the sharpest tool in the tool chest or whatever the metaphor is. It's not that we won't stumble. It's what we do when we will. And, and the, the, the point I believe that James is leading us to is what he says in the fourth chapter. He says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? How many of you enjoy that first part, right? Submit yourself to God. It sounds super cool because we just had worship music. We're feeling the vibes in here. Yeah, I submit to you. But it's when what you want is contrary to what God wants that it really counts. When what you want to say is contrary to the truth that God's put in your heart is when it really counts. And that's the place where the bridal comes in. That's the place where, as I've said many times, we wish we had that magic button where we knew we could push it maybe five times in our lives, where we blew it, we could just push it, and it just goes right back in, right? We don't get that magic button, but what we get is the welcome of the Holy Spirit to put a guard over our, our words and our actions. Um, I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, this came as a quote from John Wesley, um, those of you that know the, the Wesley brothers in their moment in history and revival, but um, it says this, that somebody came to John Wesley and said, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. And Wesley replied, I don't think God would mind if you buried that talent. <laughs> it's the think before you speak right? It's um, some of, of that is even an identity that we wear. It's like a badge of honor that I always speak my mind. You always know where I'm coming from. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who are gifted to say uncomfortable things, people who you love to have on the team. You might be one of them who are, are not unwilling to say what needs to be said in a moment that it needs to be said, okay? But there are also those who just speak their mind, and speaking your mind unsubmitted to the Holy Spirit is dangerous speech. It's not the badge of honor that we've made it out to be. And sometimes, again, we wear that. We go, well, that's just me. You know, I just boo, let you have it. Told you boo, right? But I'm just speaking my mind. That's who I am. And what God wants to do in us is, is put that rudder on us that we have all that wind. Let's just steer it in the right direction. We have all that, that power. Let's just guide it. I remember um, when I was in just out of high school, I worked at the Marriott Hotel. We'd work these late shifts. I was a driver. And um, after, sometimes after the shifts, we'd all be like wide awake, you know, at like midnight or something and one in the morning. And one time one of my friends goes, hey, let's go ride horses. I'm like, really? He's like, you know how to ride horses? I'm like, I think. And, and he goes, I know this guy in Norco that will, will let us ride. And he says, we just pay him like 20 bucks. He'll let us ride the trail horses. So we roll down to Norco into like, I don't even know where we were. And we get down into this like little corral area and he wakes the guy up out of his trailer. The guy gets up and he says, hey man, can, can we trail ride your horses? He's like 20 bucks. So we're slapped down our 20 bucks and then he starts putting the saddles on all tired and stuff. I'll never forget this. He looks at me and goes, you know how to ride horses? I'm like, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, he could tell I did it. And he goes, look. Horse has a brain this big. You got a brain this big. If you fall, it's your fault. <laughs> that was his instructions. And he's like, hang on. 
And, and I just remember we all got on these horses and it was the crazy, and I don't even know why I'm telling this story, and, but, but it was the craziest thing because they were trail horses and they were, you know, they were like, okay, let's do it. And they just start like galloping. And then, you know how trail horses are at the, at a certain point in the trail, they're like, we want to go home. We're going home. We're going home right now. And it just took off. And we're, it's like Star Wars, like, you know, we're just hanging on and going through these um, bamboo tunnels. It was amazing. Um, we didn't fall off. I'm grateful. But, but, but the point of that whole story, I think, was that there was a rudder in there, and that, there was, <laughs> that there's a lot of passion, a lot of way to go. And, and really, the man's words to me were truth, right? That if I fall, it's my fault. I had the reins. Now, a horse has the mind of its own for sure. Um, but, but the fact of the matter was, these particular horses, they weren't going to be kicking you off. They, they knew the routine. And he gave me simple instructions. I had to yield and submit to those instructions, and then I'd have a good time. And if I didn't, as others on the trip didn't, they would be in a different situation. So the, the tongue is, is, for us, again, it is, a, it is something that is likened to a bridle. So allowing that bridle, it directs our whole body, that out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, our mouth will speak. That's Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, hey, it's not just about all these outward things you do. If you, you call someone a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. This is Jesus' words. So this is, this is heavy stuff. So he's saying, okay, this whole thing, what you say directs what you do. And so, um, so it's important. The next thing that it says is that the tongue is also a fire and it's a stain. And let me read that to you. Um, the tongue is, is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. It says, how great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. If you've ever witnessed this happen, it is remarkable where you can see a small fire lead to something big and destructive, just like that. You know, you oftentimes think when you see the result of a fire or a house fire or something, man, you would think, what would I do in that situation? I'd put it out really quick. But when you see the thing actually happen, you realize you don't have that time to react, that this small fire can, can get um, breathed upon and it can receive fuels and whatever else, and it just blows up into something tremendous. And the tongue is able to do that. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. <laughs> Listen to this. It's a world of unrighteousness. Right here in your little mouth, you've got a world of unrighteousness, or at least the ability for it. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. This is good stuff. James is, uh, is most believe he's, he's definitely a, a leader in the, in the church, possibly even the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Outside of Jerusalem, there's a place where the fire burns consistently. And Jesus uses it as an analogy for hell, right? That, that he's, for, the, for those that are listening, it's like, hey, Stuff that's coming out, that unrighteousness is setting on fire. It stinks like all that trash that's burning outside of the city 24-7 and constantly. And so for the, the listener, they would have this connection to that. That's why this language is so strong. In verse 7, it says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed but, and, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I focused on the, the fact that um, no human being can tame the tongue. You know, um, many are, some are better than others. In fact, um, some have taken this. I remember I had a friend who 
tried not to talk a lot, period. It got really awkward. You know, it was in the season of trying to apply this where he just didn't want to talk because it was like this super holy thing he was engaging in, you know, because if he used too many words, he was going to say something wrong. I don't think that's what the Bible's calling us to do. But I, I, I think that some are better at pausing to think before they speak. And that comes over time and maturity. This whole book of James is, is in the setting of maturity. Remember pain equals gain? That when you go through fiery trials and difficult times, you're gaining something from that trial, um, he says in the first chapter. And so you're maturing through that struggle. And now he's saying it, it just is like the dominoes falling. As you mature there, you mature in what you say. And so again, some are better than others. But all of us have the opportunity to come to the Lord regularly, daily, hourly, even moment by moment, and say, God, help me. I can't tame this thing, but, and no other human can. But guess what? You can, God. If I submit to you, you can, you can quicken me. You can be the Lord over my words. There are many times where, where there's a, a, a little prompting in my heart to say something to someone that, that might be small and insignificant, but as I feel prompted, I've learned to just say it. Whether it's the, the person, I, remember, I just recently I was getting coffee somewhere and the young girl that was helping me, I said, are you a student? She says, yes, I'm a student. She's like, what do you want to do? I want to lobby for, for rights. I said, what's your cause? And she says, I'm not sure. And I said, hey, once you figure it out, go with it with all your heart like the world needs you. You know, I don't, I just said it. I don't know. Well, I wasn't trying to like write a Hallmark card to her, but, but, but what I, I walked away going, I just wonder, Lord, if you want to use that in her life to just go, Hey, there's this moment where this strange guy said this to me. And, and, and so these words as we're submitted to God and he can guide us like that are words of life. And so we can't tame our tongue, but we can submit to the Lord. We can obey him and he in turn will tame it for us. Um, I've read this already, but uh, so I'll skip to it because I've already read it. That's just me talking to me. Okay, um, the second part I said is a fire can be destructive. And sometimes we can drop a word bomb on somebody and just go, walk away. And we might get over it pretty quickly, um, but they might take some time to do that. And that lends to the second part of the, the analogy or the, the metaphor is that the tongue is also a stain, that it stains us, that, that stain, that pesky stain that sticks around for a while. And, um, and there's hope in all of this because whether you've been on the giving end or the receiving end, um, as I've said before, he makes all things new. And sometimes those wounds of words that run so deeply into our hearts turn into a, a gaping infected wound that that. You know, as you've heard the cliche that hurt people hurt people, right? So that out of our hurt, we find in our hurt that we're, we don't want to do it, but we let someone else have it. You know, maybe it's the, 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 the son or daughter who felt like the words growing up were hurtful and harmful, and then you find yourself saying the same to your kid. You know, maybe it's the one in a relationship who has only seen something modeled that's unhealthy, and you're, you find yourself doing it. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that, because that stain and that wound has gotten on you. But there's a better hope and there's a better hope in what we do when we receive communion in realizing that God gives us a reset, that he forgives us, that he's making all things new. And that in that, um, that, that, that once gaping wound becomes not an ugly stain, but it becomes like a scar, right? I, I don't want to lead on that it just everything goes away magically. But just as with every wound that you've experienced in your physical body, it's either healed well, well or not well. And when it heals well, it doesn't affect you like it used to. And there's a scar and a story, right? 
that, that for us guys, there's cooler stories than what really happened, you know. <laughs> but you're able to go, yeah, this hurt really bad. But this is what I learned through it. It doesn't hurt anymore. And that's my hope for, for all of us as we continue to grow in our faith, whether we have been um, wounded deeply or stained by the words of others. And that leads me to the last part. And I love that James ended it this way. He leaves us with um, two other analogies, or metaphors, excuse me, about the tongue. He says, with it, in verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And then he says this, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. I realize I'm running quickly through this, but I just, I feel it's important to just say these things, that if I look at those passages, I can see what ought not to be so, but I can also see in there what ought to be so. I look at that first verse 9 where it says, with it we bless our Lord. That our tongue, our words become an instrument of blessing. It's what we do when we worship. It's what we do with one another. I read on and I hear about a spring that shouldn't have two um, sources or two outputs. In other words, it shouldn't have brackish water and clean water. But, but that tells me that the potential of our bridal speech can be a spring of, of fresh water. That you find that James was really familiar with the wisdom literature because he quotes like he quotes like a proverb or he writes like a proverb. But there's a proverb that says like a like a good news from a distant land is what it's like a cup of cold water. That our speech and our 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 presentation to people of the gospel is refreshment, not not something nasty, not salt water, but fresh water. And then finally, um, the the last part that that it's a a, a tree, right? that produces good fruit. It's, it's a tree that we, we, we sow in these blessings and we reap in these blessings and that the fruit of our tree is for the benefit of others. And so that's the, that's the conclusion of it, right? Um, Jesus said these words. It's in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For by the tree you know its fruit. And he throws in, you brood of vipers. He's talking to the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Blessing and life, right? Blessing and curse. The power of, of our words, as we read from the Proverbs, is a, is a blessing of life, not of curse. That's not what we're intended to do. And so I had been reading all of this, and, and I thought, you know, I want to be able to take what, what the Word of God is, is saying and really apply it to the moment that we're in right now. And how many of you know we're in a significant moment? We're in a significant moment that God is doing something tremendous. 
God is moving around. How many of you saw the Jesus Revolution film? It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that was like a half-week clap. You know, if anyone... Was like, Yay! The film doesn't produce revival, but the film tells the story of revival. It tells the story of what God was doing in the 1970s. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, I think it's playing all day today. I got to see it. I thought it was tremendous. It gets you excited for, the, for, for what God could do, and then it begins to go, well, why wouldn't you do it right now? A revival isn't something that we have to beg for. Spiritual awakening isn't something that we have to beg for. It's something we have to jump into. I think you said that, Sam, just a minute ago when we were praying up here, that, that we need to jump into what God is already doing. We talked about it before, the, the um, outpouring of what God is doing in, in this small little town in Kentucky that's begun to spread to other campuses. Does that not get you excited? It's tremendous. We had a, here in 710 South Cambridge, Cambria can tell you, we had a staff meeting on, on Tuesday. Our staff meetings are pretty cool usually, but this was like next level. We're like telling the wonders of what God is doing, finding ourselves completely just crying, like silly crying. Andrew Lima over here takes off on a flat sprint up to the high school room and grabs a guitar and says, I've got to worship. I just have to. And he leads us in a time of worship. Our, our, our staff meetings where we're usually yawning it out until 11.30 ends at 1. And we're just like at 1 o'clock. We're just going, we just want more of this. What do we do now? And I said, get to work, man. <laughs> so we're, it, it isn't that God wants to do something. God is doing something. The last two weeks, I told you first, firsthand account miracles of what God was doing in other places through young missionaries. I told you the story of an 18 or 19-year-old girl named Sasha who laid hands and prayed for a fisherman who had cut his foot so bad it was so infected that he couldn't walk on it properly for five years without excruciating pain. He wasn't able to work. And they lay hands on him. They pray. They share Jesus with him. He's healed. He walks. And he goes back to work. A month later, they check in with him, and he's following Jesus, right? That's the quick story there. I told you the story last week of a, of a, a, fin, a guy from Finland who was a, a soldier who was now working through his PTSD, being discipled, getting back into his walk with God, serving as a missionary. God speaks to him about a person in Cambodia who looks a certain way and sitting a certain way, wearing a certain color of shirt and hat. He pursues that, gets into it, finds the person in Cambodia, as was seen in the picture God gave him, taps on his shoulder, person turns around. The man is also from Finland in Cambodia. Crazy. God does these things. These are miraculous. But these are stories I borrowed to build my faith, and I pass them on to you so that you also would borrow them. Because if you're not experiencing a miracle in your moment right now, you should just take somebody else's because we're all one big family. Amen? So, yes, you could clap. That's okay. So I shared those. And I said, there's a miracle that's brewing here. And so I shared with you miracles that you could take from somebody else. I'm going to give you one of yours. This is yours. This is your story now. If you remember five years ago, or more than five years ago, it was probably closer to seven, where um, I remember I was sitting right here, somebody else was preaching, and I was looking around the, the sanctuary at that time, and I felt just clearly from the Lord, it's time to do something in this building, right? And so um, I went to our leaders at the time, 
Um, I, George, I know you were on the board. David, you were on the board. There's a picture of these guys that are in the, in the lobby. It was this historic moment for us. And I remember sharing with them, hey, I think we need to do something in the sanctuary. And I'm thinking, maybe we just drop a little bit of money and make it look better, something like that. And they said, hey, if God is speaking, let's dive into it and find out what God wants. Let's really figure out what he's saying and let's do it right. And we did. In doing it right, we, we came into, um, and I'm sharing this for those of you that weren't here in those days, in doing it right, as any construction project, what happens? What happens to the budget? Just take it and times it by 5,000 and divide it by nothing. No, it's just, a, it, literally, we were so good, weren't we? We, we shared it with you. You guys, uh, th- those of you that were here at the time, man, you gave sacrificially. We raised a million dollars in this room. And then we had this super great idea that we would do one phase for a million. We'd raise a million more. And then we would be, um, we'd be done because it was a $2 million project. Um, I'm going to stop here and I'm going to share this little video because we completed the project, right? And I just pulled this out of our, our archives. Um, some of you have already seen it. But this video tells the story of, of what we did when we um, built the building. And the reason I'm sharing it with you now in the story is because I want you to see in some of the pictures, when we began to, to really get into the project, um, we found that it wasn't just a beautification project, but that God was speaking to us um, through it, that this building was literally unsafe. That if you were to sit in that area right there, that pilaster was cracked. There was no structural integrity to it. That if we had a good shaker, we might have had a big problem. And so we didn't know that until we tore into it. Part of the reason why a $2 million project turned into a $4 million project. But um, let's just show this video. And this was the project being done and kind of the vision as to why we did it. And then I'll share more of our story. My wife's Today pregnant. was, um, yeah, there was. <laughs> um. As I was sitting here in the middle of a church service, I just kind of got what I felt was like a nudge from God that it was time to do a project. It was just tired and worn and needed to be refreshed. I spoke with some of our our leaders about the possibility of a project like that. And we needed to decide to go forward or not. And that uh, meeting that's in the photo was a decision to push forward and have faith and know that God uh, wanted us to do this. It wasn't just make a building pretty, but I think he was kind of giving us a clue that the building wasn't actually safe. There were a lot of things that were issues that were going to be a potential failure at some point. When you realize you've got a a portion of the building that has a big crack in it that you wouldn't have known had you not dug into it, um, that's pretty significant. I think God was saving the day for us. This is a marker and it's a place and it's a refuge and it's a place where people know as they drive up and down the street, they may not even have recognized us. They may have driven up and down the street for 20 years and, and have gotten so used to seeing the building that they actually forget that it's there. The goal was to create a space for people to come in and connect with Jesus, a clutter-free place where they can leave the cares of the world, come in, sit down, 
and experience God. And so it becomes a permanent location where people can come and they know that there will be somebody here for them. We are now at that place where we're ready to go out and fulfill God's call to this community. The purpose for why we did it, I was seeing it with my eyes. It wasn't about making a building beautiful. It was about creating a space for people to come and connect with Jesus. And when the place was full of people desiring to do that, it, it took my breath away. Today's event was called The Doors Are Open, and um, it was an opportunity for us to, to reopen a sanctuary that's been renovated. It's our task to be especially there for those who are suffering, for those who are alone, and especially those without a voice. And your name says it all. You are the bridge. This church exists for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God to disciple people. May you stand secure in your identity in Christ, both as individuals and as a congregation. Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. You have a great church, you have a fantastic ministry, and you have an outstanding minister of God. God's done great things, but I think greater things are yet to come for this place. How many would say amen to that? Amen. You will stand before Jesus, and he will look you in the eye. And he will say, thank you for being a safe place for my kids to go to. Thank you for building walls that create safety and refuge for those that are hurting. Let's go 50 more years or more years in God. Amen. <laughs> title, The Doors Are Open, is really our heart's desire for our whole community, for you, for anybody who, who's looking for a place to connect with God, uh, a place where Jesus is honored, um, a place where people are accepted for who they are, but also a challenge to grow and challenge to become more like Christ. That's what the Christian faith is all about. My dream really is for people to receive hope. Like my dream really is for people when they drive by to go, oh my gosh, those people accepted me. You know, that, that uh, I didn't know what church was like, but I, I started going to that church and I met Jesus. My hope is that, um, that we, will, we would be an impact in this community, that, that we would be a part of seeing lives changed and people transformed. Yeah. I share all that because many of you were here and you remember not only that video but being in those moments, but many of you just came one Sunday and you've just come and known it to be like this, and so we're bringing you in to the story. So when a, when a budget goes from $2 million to $4 million, you have a decision to make, right? And the decision, I remember we came to a board meeting and said, well, what do we do? And I, I don't know, George, if it was you or Don, somebody said, well, we finish, like we do it. And to, we, you know, you got a hole in the ground, you got to put it all back together. And I remember at that moment, it was a critical decision that we had to make, that were we going to take out a loan, a good, good loan, to finish it. And the reason that was a, a, an important decision that needed to be spirit-led was because this facility was paid off, that there we had no debt. Um, and we had no debt for a reason. It was because our founding pastor had really shared his heart. Phyllis, I know you, you lived it. For those of you who don't know Phyllis, she's the wife of our founding pastor, Noel. 
who had, who had said, I think this was in the early 90s, right, that, that maybe 89, 90, somewhere around there, that, that we needed to, fi- to pay off this facility. He was suffering with cancer. He had heard from the Lord. And many of you who are in this room were part of the, the founding membership of this church, and you gave sacrificially. Um, Ruthann, I know Pastor John gave tremendously. And guess what? The celebration occurred. The place was paid off. And so I can only imagine for some of you that were, were sitting here and watching us go through this journey and then hearing the news that we took out another big fat loan and what that, what that was like for you to trust and to process through um, that, that we were hearing from God and that we needed to get it done. And so we took the loan out. Um, everybody was faithful. You guys faithfully gave and continued to do so. We were making our bills. Everything was happening. Um, meeting our budget, it, the, the mortgage um, wasn't affecting our general fund. God provided in tremendous ways. Um, the, the loan that we had was one that would adjust after five years, right? And how many of you know five years comes quickly? Yes. Yep. So one day we received our payment check, and, and that check said that we owed twice as much interest as we were used to. So you can sort of do the math on what twice as much interest on a large loan would be. And, um, and so, you know, this is something that the board was processing through. And so that's one lane of the story. Just to give you real numbers, um, the, the interest only amount on the loan was $17,000 a month. Okay, real numbers. So that's this lane of the story. This lane of the story is something that God does in our lives that he is always at work that he is doing parallel movements, that whatever you're facing right now, um, God is on the move and he's working. And he was at work. Um, I was out doing a ride-along with the police department, and I got a message that somebody would like to meet with me. And so I literally had the person that I was riding with come and drop me off here, just because it looks cool when you get out of a police car. And so, <laughs> so, I mean, I could have gone back to the station and got my own car, but I didn't. So... So I, I, I met with the, the person who um, they were representing family members who've been, you know, a part of our church for many years, but have been unable to attend for many, many years due to sickness and so forth. And it was a nice gathering, nice, nice time. Um, they gave word from their parents. They actually gave me a Christmas card and I read it with joy and we talked and whatever else. And they said, here's something for the church, okay? And I opened up an envelope, and on a handwritten check was a check for $2.3 million. What? Okay? So, yeah, you can. I have never seen a check for $2.3 million. I couldn't process the zeros. I was, I was looking at the box. It was a handwritten check. It wasn't like... You know, I feel like when you write that kind of check, it should be like this big. It was a handwritten check with like the address of the person, like your handwritten check, all those of you that still write them. And it was crammed in there. And I had to literally process through, there's too many, I mean, you know, there's just too many zeros, like the decimal points off, something's off. And then I looked at the handwritten part that had the word million in it. And I looked up at the person who was there representing the family and they said, oh yeah. <laughs> it says what you think it says. And then they said, let it just soak in for a minute. And I did. And then I just didn't know how to respond. I said, 
thank you? I, I, I just thank you is not enough. And I said, well, you don't have to thank us. This is, this is what we do. This is giving unto the Lord. This is obedience. And they said, we're just glad that we had a church like Bridge to give it to. Okay. So you can imagine that, you know, I, I, I shared it with some of the key leaders in our church, and we sat on that for a moment. So parallel story. I just want to throw this out there. How much do you think we owed on the church? $2.3 million. It was the exact amount. We literally went like this. Here, here, and now we're debt free. Amazing. Look. Only God. This is your miracle. This isn't some borrowed story. And I want to tell you, you know this to be true because you come every week. We didn't have a campaign. Nobody knew about the interest situation. We prayed. We trusted God. You pray. You trust God. You're faithful in your giving. And look what God does. God gets all the glory, 100%. You can't make this stuff up. You absolutely cannot make this stuff up. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at the goodness of God. The video that we made five years ago said the doors are open. When we had our, our um, marathon staff meeting, I think, Lisa, you were the one that said it. Just this like, sense from the Lord, like our doors are still open. And there was something that we said. We, I think Rochelle said it in her piece that this is to be a permanent location a permanent location. I believe that God calls ministries to be mobile. And I, I love ministries that meet here, meet there, that are like agile and ready to move wherever God wants them to. But I think that it's also necessary to have brick and mortar, big churches and cities that you drive by and go, oh, I have a place to come home to. I have a place to come back to. I have a place to come for counsel. And now what the Lord has done for us is established this place at 710 South Cambridge. He's fulfilled the vision that he's, he put in Noel's heart and John's heart, and we want to continue to stand on the shoulders of those giants. Yeah, God's good. So it's a different kind of Sunday if it's your first Sunday. But the only response to a miracle is gratitude. The only response to a miracle is pressing into God and just saying, God, thank you for what you're doing and realizing that that miracle is your story. And if God can do that, the first thing I thought was like, well, man, if God did that, like, what's he going to do next? Like, what do we trust him for next? That we don't plateau on these things. We lean into God. And so I wanted to invite the worship team to come back. I, I, we still have some time. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to... Give this good news to you. And just like that news was settling in for me when I read the check, I'm sure it's still settling in for you. Um, And as it settles in for you, I want to invite you into a response. I want to invite you into um, to come to the table of communion. And as you come to the table of communion, you're going to you're going to be invited by Jesus himself who who instituted this and, and called us to a place of remembrance. Right. And called us to a place of repentance and called us to a place of celebration. And we get to do this as often as we want. We get to celebrate his death and his resurrection. And it's a reset, too, where we get to come and go, I just, as good as the news as that was, I'm still, like, back a few minutes, and I remember that maybe my tongue needs some bridling. Maybe my tongue has spoken some things that it shouldn't have spoken. Guess what? You don't have to walk in guilt or condemnation, but you get to come to the one who brings to you forgiveness and a bridle. 
And communion for you might look like first repentance, second celebration, and, or th- third Thanksgiving, or however it all comes together. But I just want to set the table. I want to tell you that these altars have been a place of ministry for nearly 40 years where you come, where you can experience God, where you can receive prayer, where you can just receive what he wants. And so whether you're in junior high, whether you're not in junior high, it doesn't matter that you are welcome here at these altars. Our doors are open. The doors of our hearts are open to God. And he wants to fill us with good things. Amen? So jump into revival. Jump into what he's doing. Let's stand together. By the way, you cheered and hollered, but we, in a few, maybe a couple months, I think we'll do it after Easter, we are going to celebrate, like, Old Testament style, like, festivals, like, I'm saying, like, we're, like, fatted calf, the whole thing, we're doing it, because God deserves the best that we can give him back for this. Father, we stand in your presence, we stand in awe of you. How, Lord, it just doesn't, like, we couldn't script that story. Nobody knew, but you did. And you use the faithful to, to be a conduit for your provision. And you'll do that in every life in this room. You began a good work here and you're faithful to complete it. And yeah, we've got work to do still and you will complete that, God. Lord, we come to this table of communion. We come to you, Lord, with gratitude in our hearts. You've been good. Bailey, if you'd lead us, um, just sing to the Lord. And I want to say, I, I, I don't want to keep you long. If you need to slip out, there will be no offense to that. But, but at this time now, just settle in and, and settle into all this news and, and experience God. He wants to touch your life. And, and don't be in a rush. That would be my encouragement. If you can, be here in this moment.
invite you to leave your seat and find four tables in each kind of corner of the sanctuary, two in the back and two up here in the front. As we come to the Lord's table, just invite you to take the elements of his bread and his body and um, just hang on to it because I believe that there's something communal about communion that will break bread together. So if you would, when you're ready, um, just make your way. If you're having a difficult time or you don't want to come up, just raise your hand and someone will bring it to you. Help one another out. Make sure everybody gets what they need. Let's serve each other. But come on, let's, let's take the, the elements that we need. And... Phyllis feels like she has something she wants to share. Yes. As you're um, kind of hanging on to those elements, um, Phyllis has something that she'd like to share. So just stay in this attitude of worship and let's, um, let's listen with our hearts. I just felt like I wanted to share this while we were standing here after hearing this wonderful, wonderful testimony of what God's done here after almost 40 years. Just before Noel was dying, um, we were sitting in my family room and Peggy came over. Of course, Peggy, you will remember this. And Noel was pretty sick. It was probably a few days before he went to be with the Lord. And Peggy was sitting at his feet. He was sitting in the recliner. And she said, Noel, this ministry is going to go on. Whatever happens, it's like a ripple. If you throw a pebble in a big lake, the ripples keep going out and out and out. And that's what's going to happen here. And with this testimony again, I remember the day he said to the church, pay the church off. And that's what happened right after he, he went to be with Jesus. We paid the church off. And now to hear this day, Pastor Danny, it just blessed me so much. I just 
That's what came to me, Peggy, and you remember that day so clearly, I'm sure. It will be a ripple, like you throw a pebble in a brook, and ministry will keep going on. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you. Praise God. the elements of communion in your hands you're holding symbols and so much more it's the only theological way I know how to explain it but what God's given us through what Jesus instituted in the Lord's Supper was a full sensory reminder of his birth life death and resurrection It's the whole gospel in a full sensory experience. And what we're about to do has been done for over 2,000 years, and it's recorded in Scripture to not be done lightly. It's a holy moment. That's why I say it's a symbol and so much more. I believe that God in His presence longs to heal and encourage and wipe away the stains of words of death to rebuild the destruction of the fires of the words that have been spoken over us, to, re- to forgive us of words we've spoken, to do a new thing, to speak life over us and refreshment as we come to him. And so as you hold these in your hands, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe even whisper a prayer to the Holy Spirit, just inviting God's presence into every aspect of your life, every door of your heart that Jesus so graciously knocks at. Just invite him right on in. Lord, the heart of of repentance, Lord, for the things that we've done unbridled. We say we're sorry. We invite the bridal of your goodness and your direction and your discernment into our hearts, Lord, that you would be for us the rudder that steers our life, however passionate or however much the wind blows us, that you, God, would steer us in paths of righteousness for your namesake that we would be like a tree of life, not one of death, that the fruit of our lives would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control through the power of your spirit working in us. Jesus, we remember that you spoke of these things, you promised these things, and then you invite us to remember in a very tangible way. And so as we hold this bread before you, We remember that your body was broken for us, that you died on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life and that by your stripes, we could be made whole. Lord, do a fresh work in us, we pray. Let's break it and eat together.
Jesus, on that night, you took the cup and you said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Thank you for the reminder of this new covenant of your grace that's poured out upon us, that today is a day of all things becoming new. Today is a reset for us. And we have communion to remind us, the taste of the the juice as we drink it, reminding us of the sweetness of your grace, Lord. Let it wash over us and pour over us. We remember what your word says that without the shedding of blood, there could have been no forgiveness or no remission of sin. Thank you that we stand forgiven before you as we've confessed our sins. You're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even a world of unrighteousness that rests on our tongue. You forgive us of it. We thank you for it. We believe you and we honor you and we celebrate you and we receive what you've done for us in the name of Jesus. Let's drink together. Just in this moment, before you, you lose the moment, I wanted to invite up here all of our deacons and their wives, those that are here, whether you served on the board in the past seven years or you serve now, if you guys could just come up here to the front. I'm not going to put a microphone in your hand or anything, so don't worry. I just want you to come. Don't be afraid to be in the middle. This everybody's afraid to, to be in the middle. I could say something about each one of you, and, and, and I will. Not here, though. But I could say thank you to each one of you for stewarding God's resources well, for serving God's people well. And um, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And I want to honor you. Thank you. You can leave the lights down for, 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 for a moment. Um, I don't want to just say this and clap to you, but I want to give you all an opportunity because I, I don't want to just leave, you know? I don't want to just leave. You can if you need to, but I think there are some that need prayer. I think that there are some that are just like, I'm weary, I'm excited by this, but I need a touch from God. And that you can define what that is. You don't need to come and say... Um, I I need God to do X, Y, or Z, or maybe you don't even know what you need God to do. You just want more of him is kind of what I'm trying to say. If you want more of Jesus, remember it's a call that Pastor John would give often. If you just want more of Jesus, just come. There are people here who don't know that they just volunteered to pray for you. I'm I'm looking at our junior hires. You know, when you hear that word and looking at our high schoolers and young adults, when you hear that word of the ripple of a ministry going on, Um, this place will be around by the grace of God so that you can continue to do the good work that God has called you to do. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And it isn't just for young people, it's for everybody that's here. And so if you want to come and just receive a blessing from from these folks that are here and, and say yes 
to following Jesus into the future generations. Come. Don't miss this moment because you have lunch plans. Don't miss it. But just come. And so I'm going to invite them to sing a song. If you'd like a touch from the Lord, you'd like prayer, please come. There's people here that will pray for you. Please lead us.
We're just going to continue to leave this area open for those that would like prayer. If you if you want to come, you're free to come, or we'll be here as long as you want to be here. But for those of you that have things, I know we've held you over longer, and we thank you for waiting patiently. But we want to bless you on your way. But again, we're in no hurry for those that want to continue to stay and pray. Father, we bless your name. We celebrate you. You who've done exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what we could think, ask, or even imagine. We give you all the honor and glory and praise. There's no person that can take credit for what you've sovereignly done for us, our miracle that you've just handed us. Thank you for this story, Lord, and we revel in it, and we revel in your goodness, and we love you, and we honor you. Bless your people throughout the week now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So God bless you on your way, but stay and pray.
2017, let's hear it. The loudest shout you've got in you. Give it to us. Come on.